want to ask a question. Has anyone ever had the worst day ever? Like you're in the midst of a day and something happens and you tell yourself or you tell your spouse or the person next to you, this is the worst day ever. Let me give you a couple examples of the worst day ever. When I was in high school here, I worked for the city. And I worked for the water department. And there was one summer that someone pooped in the pool. Okay? And it wasn't, we're not going to get too graphic here, but it wasn't just a little bit for tracking. Let's say maybe, I don't know if they went to Taco Bell or what it was. Someone pooped in the pool. And so the, the, the general consensus was that we just throw a bunch of chlorine in it and shock the pool and we're done. We get to move on, close the pool for a day, let the chlorine do its thing. But no, we had to drain the entire pool. And then I was given, along with one of the other summer helpers, a brush about that big and a bucket of chlorine water. And we had to scrub the pool, top to bottom, side to side. It was the worst day ever. On top of that, it was the hottest week on record for that summer. And I'm in jeans, a cutoff t-shirt, and like a full respirator mask because of the chlorine. It was the worst day ever. Fast forward to 2006, I got married. That's not the worst day ever. <laughs> but <laughs> I should have probably framed that a little bit better. It, I got married in 2006, and I, I am freakishly allergic to cats. Freakishly allergic to cats. Going up, up, leading up to my wedding, I was having a cold and having some coughing fits, and so I told myself, and I told my, my wife, I said, I'm not going to cough during our wedding. Not gonna cough. So what I do is I proceed to go to the Dollar General and I grab a bottle of Dayquil and for the duration of the day leading up to my wedding, I drink an entire bottle of Dayquil. Didn't pay attention to the recommended dose. I just didn't want to cough. I didn't cough during my wedding, but I also don't remember my wedding. So you, you go to the hotel or to the, to the Airbnb or to the, the bed and breakfast as, as married couples do. My wife fell asleep and that's when I discovered that ESPN every hour is just a rerun. Did you know that? It's kind of like, okay, last week Kyle talked about the new features on a phone. This is a feature that I learned that ESPN every hour is just the same thing. So I stay up all night because I am legitimately afraid that if I fall asleep, my breathing will could become heavy enough and, and labored enough that I won't wake up in the morning. So I stay up all night. In the morning, I get up to take a shower and there's two tablets of Dayquil on the nightstand. Well, the Lord provides. And so I, I took those, took a hot shower, got out. Breakfast had been delivered to our room and my wife, unknowing that I took two tablets of Dayquil, had a cap of Dayquil ready for me. I'm like, well, why not? So eat breakfast, take a shot of Dayquil. We go out to her parents' farm, which is a couple miles outside of the town we got married in. And her mom sits me in the seat that the, their cat lives in. Okay, we're tracking with this, right? Like allergic to cats sitting in the chair where the cat lives. And so I start to hyperventilate. My mom gives me a paper bag to breathe in. Her mom gives me more prescription strength cough medicine. I'm having 
the worst day ever. On top of that, my wife, my, my mom turns to my wife and says, you need to take him to the ER. 12 hours into married life, we're on our way to the ER. So very little food in my stomach, a lot of medicine in my stomach, and we're riding down washboard roads to the ER. I get out of the car and proceed to vomit all over the car next to us and all over my wife's brand new shoes. It is the worst day ever. Now, I don't know if you can relate with, with something like that, but a lot of times we, we have this question or we, we have to answer this question of what do we do when we feel like giving up? We're having the worst day ever, but what do we do when we feel like giving up? How do we keep going? How do we put one foot in front of the other? Because I know, I know that for most of us, maybe if not all of us, we felt like giving up at some point. It's part of the, the human experience. And I can tell you that from personal experience, both recently and throughout my life, there are moments when you simply want to crawl back in bed, pull the covers over your head, and just take a time out. You just, you're just kind of over the day, you're over the season, you're over the situation, and you just want to disappear and be done. Can anyone relate with feeling like they want to give up at some point? It's a part of the human condition. How do we keep going? Because here's the hard truth. Whether we realize it or not, whether you're having the best day or the worst day, there's going to be days where you don't feel like finishing the day. Now, let me, let me be really, really clear in something. When I say giving up, I don't want to lead you to think that I'm talking about self-harm or suicide or anything like that. Obviously, understanding there are people who think that is the only way out. But when I talk about just giving up, just being done with that season or with that, that feeling, but maybe you're at the point where you're ready to give up on a friendship or you're ready to give up on a relationship because the pressure of that relationship has just gotten to be too much. Or maybe you're getting ready to go into a new semester of school and you're already dreading the start of school because of the pressure that comes with it. Maybe you're considering throwing in the towel on your job or your marriage or your kids or whatever it might be. Whatever it is, wherever we are, there's going to be difficult days and are we just going to sit here and, and hope for the best and hope that things will improve to where the point where they're, they're tolerable? Or we, we often say, if my circumstances improve, then my attitude will improve and if my attitude improves, then I'll be able to tolerate more. I'll be able to not give up, but... The question we have to answer is, what if our circumstances don't improve? How are we going to put one foot in front of the other when Monday happens? But because here's what I know and here's what I choose to believe. The fact that you are here and the fact that I am here, the fact that we have a heartbeat in our chest and air in our lungs, it's all the evidence that I need to believe that God has grand and great plans for your life and for mine. But even in the midst of that, how do we not quit? 
Because I can tell you from, from past and personal experience, there are times that the weight of being a dad and a husband and a good friend and being in ministry, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming trying to, to live up to your own expectations or live up to someone else's expectations and trying to be good enough. And then we look at Instagram or Facebook and we see all these people that have their lives together, right? We see the highlights of their day or their highlights of their vacation. They, we seem to think that they have everything together and they're, they're living the good life and here I am stuck in mine. They have the husband or the wife and the kids and the dog and the, the white picket fence and they have the job that they want and they have the pay raise that they wanted and the company car and all the things and we're just sitting here hoping that we're keeping a good pace in this life, that we're on the right path and, and if we're doing things right, maybe we're passing someone along the way. Now I'm not saying that plans are bad and, and, and that your, your, what your expectations for life are, but there's going to be days that life just happens. Mike Tyson, now I'm not saying that you take a bunch of life advice from Mike Tyson, but he has a saying that says everyone has plans and those plans are great until you get punched in the face. Right, plans are great. Show me your plans, give me your PowerPoint, give me all the things, but those plans are great until life happens and you get punched in the face. Proverbs 19, verse 6 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So what if, instead of trying to design and construct all of these plans, this grand master plan, what if we begin thinking about what the next step needs to be? Plans versus step, steps. Because plans are great, plans are good. No one is against you having a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. Tell me your plans, I'm gonna pray for them, but I'm gonna hope they're gonna happen, but the likelihood of your plans coming to fruition the way you have it planned is absolutely 0%. We hope that the big things will happen. Let's, let's, let's pray about this. Let's, let's vision board it out. Give me your PowerPoint presentation, all of it, but the likelihood of everything happening the way you want it to happen is 0%. Plans change, life happens, but what is your next step? Where does your confidence and your security come from? Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly reward. When you read this verse, when I read this verse, 
it all boils down to Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. So forgetting what's behind, I'm going to press on. I'm going to take the next step towards the goal. Now, the goal isn't just to to fill a room or to feel better about ourselves. The goal isn't to have some self-help tips that you can apply to your lives. The goal isn't your career or your family. The goal is to know Jesus more today than I did yesterday and more tomorrow than I do today. And knowing him, knowing him more today than I did yesterday begins to shape my tomorrow. And if we begin to function from that being real, if we begin to function from that mindset, it shapes everything that we're a part of, our accomplishments, our career, the things we hang our proverbial hats on, knowing the life-changing grace, love, and message of Jesus shifts our perspectives and our desires. So in light of that, I'm gonna suggest three simple things to help you take the next step. And these are, you're gonna think these are probably pretty baseline, but as as I was writing this, it, it just, the simple things seem to be more profound. So the first thing is sit in his love for you. Pretty simple, right? Sit in his love for you because the honest truth is far too often we let our hearts and our minds dwell on what's right in front of us, right? What's tangible and what's immediate. But sometimes the only thing that you and I need to do is to stop and to fix our hearts and our minds on God's faithfulness and his goodness and his love towards you. And I understand that that might seem really elementary and basic, but I believe there are times that we we need to be reminded that God hasn't forgotten about us. We need to be reminded that God isn't some far off and distant being or a puppet master pulling all these strings. We need to be reminded that he isn't tone deaf to our prayers. But in the midst of that, we also need to be reminded that we are not in control. This whole Christian life, being more like Jesus, doesn't revolve around you and me. It has nothing to do with us. We are not the hero of this story. Sometimes we need to be reminded that I am not in control, but I am deeply loved by the one who is. And so sometimes we just need to sit and be reminded of God's faithfulness and his goodness and his love. We need to be reminded that God cares and that he's near. And you can bring your flaws, you can bring your heartache, you can bring your your disappointment and your hopelessness and your depression and your anxiety and all the human condition and just sit and be with Jesus. I have, my my daughter is eight years old and if you have an eight-year-old, they're a handful, right? They're, they're a lot. And she is, she is sassy and she's whimsical, but every night she wants to snuggle with either my wife or I, every night, without fail. And I think it's because she just wants to be reminded that she's not alone. 
She wants to be reminded that someone is near and that she's safe and that she's secure and she's cared for. She's not concerned with the, with the baseball game that I'm watching or with the show we're watching on Netflix or whatever we're happened to be doing. She just wants to be near. And sometimes I think we get so consumed with, with doing and performing and producing that we just forget to be. We forget to be still and to be reminded that I am not in control, but I am deeply loved by the one who is. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 10, but if not, you can read it on the screen here. Jesus, it says, now they went on their way and Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who just sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching, but, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, and I, I would imagine a very passive-aggressive way, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? It's kind of like if you have kids, like, Dad, can you tell him to not bother me or to help me in the kitchen? And she says, tell her then to help me. But then the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. So if we, if we use our imagination here for just a minute and just kind of picture this in our mind's eye, Jesus is, is in the living room and he's, and he's sitting and you see Mary just at his feet just taking in all that Jesus is, listening to him talk and, and just trying to understand and to, to put his principles and, and, and practices into action. And Martha's in the kitchen trying to serve and to produce and to, to show off. And Jesus says, you got it all wrong. It's not about producing. It's not about all these things that you can do. It says you're, you're anxious and troubled about many things. And sometimes I think that you and I are the same, that we're anxious and we're troubled about many things and we just simply forget to be in the presence of Jesus. Martha is, is doing what you and I would, would naturally do. She's working for God, right? She's consumed with what she can do for God. Then Jesus points to Mary and says, no, you, you need to be like this. Just be with me. Because when you're in front of Jesus and when you're, when you're spending time just sitting in his love, it's really, really hard to think that you did anything by yourself, right? Because there's, there's nothing that we can do. There's no product that we can make or good behavior that we can have that's going to impress Jesus. And I believe that it's sometimes harder to sit in his love than it is to work for him. But the fact that he loves us flaws and all Humanity and all brokenness and all gives me hope. So don't buy into the theology that makes more out of us than him. 
And what I mean by that is it's really easy to come into places like this or we attend church on the weekend and we, well, then we leave and we think about all, all the stuff that we can do or that we have to do and it's as if we're in the kitchen and Jesus is in the living room. So first, we, we sit in his love for us and secondly, we stand in the righteousness that we've been given. Romans chapter eight says, so there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, but God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. See, too many, too many of us walk around in our day-to-day lives hanging our spiritual and our emotional and sometimes even our, our physical heads because we've made mistakes. And we walk into a building like this and we try to put on a brave face for our friends and we, we tell ourselves, God, you don't, you don't know how many times I've tried to break this habit or I've tried to do the right thing and I, or I've told God that I'm not gonna mess up again, I'm not gonna do that again and we walk in here and we mess up again. We fail again. So we sit in his love and when we have the, the stamina and the strength to stand, we stand in the righteousness. There is no condemnation, there's no judgment, and there's no shame. Now, staying in your righteousness doesn't mean that you have all areas of life figured out because we, we don't, right? That's not gonna happen. We're not gonna have all these facets of life figured out, but that means that we understand the gift that we've been given. This gift that 2 Corinthians 5 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so we could, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if we zoom out, 30,000 foot view, he took our place, he took your place and my place. He took your sin and my sin, all the judgment and all the error and all the wrong, all of our selfishness and our humanity. He exchanged that for his righteousness, his right standing with God. And far too often we think that we're too far gone, we've done too much, or we've, we haven't done enough, that we're at odds with God. But if, if you've accepted this free gift, you're no longer at odds with God. God has nothing but acceptance and approval and love for you. So now all we have to do is stand in our righteousness. It means that we know who we are in Christ. We know whose we are. God made, we know who God made us to be, we recognize the gifts and the abilities that he's given us and we recognize that he doesn't hold our sins against us. He doesn't hold your past against you. He doesn't hold your, your temptations or your addiction. He doesn't take all these things and hold it 
against you, but far too often we, we think that God is slow to forgiveness or he's gonna shame us or expose us. And so we walk into places like this with our tails between our legs because at some point someone told you or you believe that you don't belong here. We've bought into the lie that the church is only for perfect people, and so we, we hang our heads, we bring, we bring our baggage, and we, we leave our baggage at home, or we leave it at the doorstep, and we, we don't want to show who we really are. But then in steps Jesus into the mess of our humanity and says, bring your baggage, Bring your troubles, bring your addictions, bring your depressions and all these different things that you have and I'll trade you because my yoke is easy to carry and my burden is light. You don't have to be good enough or moral enough or godly enough. You don't have to praise a certain amount. You don't have to do a certain amount of good things. There's, there's nothing in scripture that says you have to reach a certain level of spiritual maturity to have a seat at his table. It's a free gift. There are no strings attached. So we sit and we recognize that his love is available for you and for me. When we accept that love, we stand in his righteousness. We stand in our righteousness. And then third, we have to let it go. Now someone in here started singing the song from Frozen. Top. I hear that song way too often, and now that you have it all stuck in your head, so you're welcome. But as we live out our life in response to who Jesus is, we sit in his love, we have to let all of these things that have been holding us back, we have to let it go. But notice that sitting in his love and letting go are things that our egos are not going to to be proud of. Your egos, if you're, a, if you're a doer, sitting and just being is not something your ego is going to enjoy. Letting go of past offenses and those things that, you know, the, those past hurts that have helped create your identity is not something that your ego is going to be proud of. But in Philippians chapter three, it says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Forgetting the past. I understand that your past and my past, it helps create our identity. We hold on to these things and we have this white knuckle grip on things because we don't want to let it go because if we let it go, that means a part of our identity leaves as well. But we forget what is in the past. We look forward to what lies ahead. Because what lies ahead is far more appealing than holding on to something in the past. I press on, I'm, I'm off and running. I'm not looking behind me. I'm not focused on my past or I'm not focused on what I've done or my failings or my shortcomings. 
I'm not focused on that. I'm not focused on offenses that I have caused and need to seek forgiveness for or that have been caused towards me, but I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. Because through Jesus, my past is forgiven, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm not looking back, I'm looking forward. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. And in the midst of that, I choose to seek forgiveness and extend grace and forgiveness where needed. So where does your confidence and your security come from? Where does my confidence and my security come from? It comes from the one who is willing to become sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God. So what do we do when we feel like giving up? We need to remind our heart and our soul, you need to remind your heart and your soul that you are loved beyond measure. There's nothing that you can do, there's no amount of good things or bad things that you can do to earn God's love or to run away from God's love. It is a gift that would compel the creator of the universe to send his son, his very best thing, to take upon the sin of you and me. The very worst thing happened to the very best person. The very worst thing happened to the very best person. And, and because of that, it changes everything. It reshapes everything that we do. It reshapes our relationships and the way we approach our job tomorrow, the way we approach school in the fall, and the way we approach our parenting. All these different areas of life is shaped because of the love of Jesus. When we begin to grasp that kind of love, it changes our entire outlook. It changes everything. All of these things, sitting in his love, standing in righteousness and letting go, it pulls the focus off of you and me because, again, we are not the hero of this story. You can never do enough good things to earn God's love. You can never do enough bad things to outrun his love, but it is, it, is a, it is a daily, continual choice to be reminded of his love, to stand in your righteousness, and then choose to let past offenses and past hurts and all the things that are leading up to today to let them go. And the question you have to ask yourself is, is it worth it? Do we truly believe as a community of faith and as individuals that Jesus is enough? And if the answer is yes, then is it worth letting go of all of our past offenses and choosing to have the love and the relationship with Jesus reform and reshape and provide a framework for how we live life? Because we live life in a response to something, right? We live life in response to past hurts, or we live life in response to past relationships, or we live life in response to what Jesus has done for us. But the question we have to ask ourselves and continually remind ourselves and continually grow in is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity just to 
speak what's been on my heart. Lord, I pray that something that I have said today, something we've talked about, something we've read in scripture, rings true in the hearts of people here. Lord, help us to know you more today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we do today. Help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to be more like Jesus in our relationships and in our friendships and in, our, in the workplace and in school and at home and everywhere in between. Help us to be more like Jesus and be your hands and feet to a very, very hurting world around us. Lord, help us to make more of you than us. And in the process, may you be glorified. We praise your name. Amen.